Welcome to Raising Me. I hope you are having a great day. I'm Adrienne Stein, longtime journalist and a mom figuring out life with kids, work, marriage, you know, all the things. As we all know, parenting is filled with times of self-doubt. So here, we connect with the experts to help us navigate some of those challenges that we're facing. And it's a particularly important one today because we're talking about depression, identifying signs of depression in kids, how to tell if it's situational depression, something that might come and go after a breakup, for example, or if it's something far more serious. And we're going to get some guidance on what to do about that. Rebecca Hoffman is back with us. She is the director of the Center for Trauma, Resilience, and Innovation at Maine Health, a longtime marriage and family therapist, or she's also a mom facing many of the same things that we are. Rebecca, you might remember, was with us for our anxiety epidemic episode. That's one of our most downloaded. Certainly worth a listen if you haven't heard it, especially if your child is struggling with anxiety right now, like so many are. Well, today, Rebecca is helping us shine a light on depression. And one of the biggest takeaways I think you might find is how important it is to trust your instinct. Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us today. And this is such an important topic because the consequences are really, can be very dire, right? Yeah. Let's start out with just going right to it. What does depression look like in kids? And I imagine that might look different for, say, a three, four, five, six-year-old, if that's even when you might see signs, versus a 16, 17, 18-year-old. Yes. So that's a great question because sometimes depression looks like other things and other things look like depression. The biggest things to look for with depression are changes in behavior. So if your child is one that's often out in the house and they start spending all their time in their room, they're sleeping a lot, um, not eating, those are signs that something's different, something's changed. In younger kids, if they regress, they start to regress in skills that they've learned earlier then that's a sign that something has changed for them. Really, sleep is a big, big one to monitor in general. Sleeping too much, sleeping too little can often be a sign that something is sort of out of whack for their body. Sudden drop in grades, not wanting to hang out with friends, wanting to isolate, just feelings of hopelessness or sadness, sometimes a preoccupation with death and dying potentially irresponsible sort of dangerous behavior or not even dangerous, but not caring if they don't do homework or skip school, those sorts of things, potentially the use of substances. Those are all things that I wouldn't say equal depression at all, but as a parent, you just want to sort of say, what's, you know, what's going on here? Something's changed. If you and your gut see that something has changed, then that might tell you that it's worth looking into. Is there a difference in some of the signs between boys and girls? Not necessarily. So the, as I say all of those signs, I, I can just hear if I, myself as a listener saying, wait, but that's just, that's what like puberty looks like, or that's what a teenager looks like, or that these often look like other things. So I'll put that out there first, that it, this is not easy. 
What I would say is there are tendencies in genders, but really for something like depression, there's nothing that's really gender specific. It's more about the personality of your child and what in terms of what the changes are. And, you know, you talk a little bit that it looks like other things. So if it's looking like other things, how do we know then this isn't going through puberty or just kind of the sadness phase that some kids go through? And this is something that we really need to have put the red flag up. Something's not right. We need some help. What's the difference? So the difference, hopefully, is that... What I would suggest as a parent is to preempt any of that with building the type of relationship with your child where you feel like you could ask them how they're doing and that they could talk with you or that they would come and tell you if they were struggling. Now, kids, depending on their age, they might not have the insight that they're that they are struggling. So really starting to ask questions, sort of monitor how they're doing, monitor especially things like sleep and appetite, friendships. If you have access to their phones, their social media, their texts, you know, sort of monitoring monitoring those things, potentially starting those conversations with them. I'm seeing a difference and I want to make sure you're okay. Can you talk with me about what's been going on for you? There's also good Um, meet with their primary care provider, talk with their primary care provider about what you're seeing if you are really concerned. It's it's hard because breaking up with a significant other at 14 years old is probably going to cause some degree of depression, right? But is it a short-lived depression that's based on a situation? It's situation-dependent or is it something that's in their body chemically that needs to be treated. And that's not an easy thing to figure out. And it really just takes some real detective working conversations as a parent. And a lot of instinct, trusting your instinct on that. And you talked about, you know, just sort of preempting it and building that great relationship with your child where you can have these kind of conversations. But not the reality is, is not everybody has that. It doesn't mean anybody's less concerned But some kids are just a lot less likely to share emotions or what's going on in their life. So, and maybe this is a million dollar question, but like, how do you break through on that? That's so true. And not only is it true that that some relationships aren't that, but some kids just aren't like that. Some kids just don't want to talk about how they're doing or they don't want to talk to their parent about how they're doing. And that is very normal. That has nothing to do with quote unquote good parenting or not good parenting. It's just the nature of, you know, the potential age of the child and their personality too. So let me just put that out there. You're doing a great job, parents. This is hard, hard stuff to talk about. I would say that it's still worth having those conversations, trying, right? Reaching out, saying, I'm here for you to have this conversation. Showing them that you had times too when you were young and struggled. And, and, and I did this recently with a child and shared an experience that I had as a preteen that was really painful. And looking back now, you know, it was painful when I was 12 and it was 
you know, my first experience of that. But now as an adult, I'm like, oh, you know, you get through it and you get to the other side. So to share with my child, I remember how painful that was. And it hurts. And I want you to know I'm here to talk about it. And so they know that door is always open and that you understand what that's like, that you understand what it's like to be a kid and go through that. The other thing is there might be points with your child where you are concerned enough that you need to, as the parent, step in and say, I'm concerned. I am going to take you to see a therapist or to talk to your doctor because I'm that concerned. And that is okay as a parent. It's As you said, it's trusting your instinct and they may not want it. They may fight it, but it's what you have to do sometimes as a parent. What are... so? Yeah, so talking it out, sort of preventing and and definitely having these conversations. But when it comes to, okay, maybe we have gone to the doctor, like what does that process look like? Or we've made at least the call. Walk us through the process of getting help if we think our our kids are depressed. There's a few avenues for, for getting help if you think your child's depressed. One of the best avenues is through your primary care provider. There's often therapists that work right in the primary care provider's office that can see your child there. School, school has counselors that are used to seeing this every day in and out and are really skilled at working with kids. Some kids don't, they're, they're a little hesitant to do that because it's, you know, it's in the school around their friends, but what they don't realize is kids that they know are seeing the school therapist, school social worker all day in and out, and they don't know it. So it really is very protected and confidential. Also, there's always the option of a trusted therapist that you know are reaching out to friends to get a name or calling a local organization like our organization, Maine Behavioral Healthcare, you know, we get calls, new calls every day for, for therapy. So there's a variety of options. And those therapists are really trained to assess for the kind of depression that we are, you know, worried about that might be something very serious. They, right from the start, they, of seeing a child that they will screen for that. And so hopefully as a parent that would make you feel better knowing that even if your child doesn't want to go there, they're in the hands of somebody that's trained to deal with situational depression versus very serious depression. So situational depression would be, just so we understand these terms, that would be more of the breakup that you mentioned, like a 14-year-old breaks up. It's kind of a one-off. And so you're feeling low about a particular event or life experience. Right. Whereas the other type would be more, this is a prolonged, even though we're weeks or months out of this bad breakup, this, we just can't shake this dark place. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because there's grief, there's sadness, there's depression, there's the mental health diagnosis, depression, and those are sort of hard to parse out. And so that's where a therapist can be really helpful. You mentioned, um, you, you know, one characteristic, one, something you might notice is a child wanting to kind of isolate, to be in their room or to, to not engage with the family or hang out with friends. You know, is there a, 
sort of a line where you can kind of force it. Like, nope, we are up and out today, out of bed, out of your room. Could that be advantageous or does that make it worse? Like, oh, here are my parents forcing me, you know, I'm, this is terrible kind of thing. Your child might think it's worse, but it's actually a really good thing to do from a couple of perspectives. First, it allows you to really assess them, right? You're getting them out of their room. You're talking to them. You're really getting to see how they're doing. So that's important from that perspective. And they know that you're not going to give up on this, right? You're not going to let them slide with how they're doing, that you care enough about how they're doing, that you are going to stay on it um, like a dog on a bone. Um, and, and that's what we sometimes do, have to do as parents. But the other thing is that the, the tools that work with sadness and depression, the sort of tools that we can all have in our toolbox, are the ones that you access when you can get your child out of the room. So connection, connection is a huge one. And so when they're depressed, they're sort of cutting off connection with others. And so the antidote to some of that is reconnection. So um, it's all of those things that build the chemicals of dopamine and oxytocin in our bodies, which are like the love hormones, the happiness hormones. and so fresh air, so taking a walk outside, fresh air, exercise, eating healthy, connecting with friends and family members, those are all real life medicine for sadness. And so you're teaching your child and giving them tools in their toolbox for their whole life when you're saying, we're going to get outside, we're going to take a walk together and get some fresh air, or we're going to connect as a family, even if they don't want to. You find it this is primarily environmental factors causing this, or do genetics play a role when it comes to depression with kids or teens? Yeah, genetics and chemicals, hormones absolutely play a role. And so so sometimes it's based on on situations, it's based on What's going on in a child's life, whether it's at home, at school, uh, bullying, for example, can very easily cause serious depression. But often there's something chemical going on that, you know, your kid is sort of was happy one day and then the next day they start to isolate and you don't know why. And that, you know, they're at, especially when we're talking a lot about preteen and teen, there's just so many changes going on in their bodies chemically that um, if something is sort of chemically going amiss, that's often an age where that might happen. Yeah, it's beyond, well, you know, shake it off, you'll be fine kind of thing. Are there ways to prevent depression in kids? Are there some things that we can do early on that makes them experiencing these kinds of things less likely? The answer to that is, Sort of yes and no. There are certainly uh, biological tendencies toward depression that we can't remove those biological tendencies. But there's certainly environmental things that can help us to either prevent, intervene, or treat depression, just even as a family member, which are some of the things we talked about in terms of helping helping your child build an emotional language, first of all, from early on. So not only learning 
for them to learn what it feels like to feel sad and have have words for that, but also for them to know that it's okay to talk about feelings and that you're a family where when we're feeling something, it's okay to say something and we're going to do something about it. We attend to feelings. And so really setting up that language in your household and modeling it for them, talking about your own feelings as a parent. And so kids know I'm not the only one that's ever felt sad or ever felt angry or frustrated or whatever it might be. Also, again, like always thinking about what do, what is my child's toolkit? What is in my child's toolkit for handling stressful and difficult times? So we talk about stress tolerance. So how much can and my child handle in terms of distress or difficult emotions and helping over time, over the years to build up what's in that toolkit for what we do when we're having hard times. I always celebrate families when I hear that they've brought their child even at a young age to a therapist for any reason, because you've just put a tool in that child's toolkit that will last them their whole life. And that tool is saying therapy is okay in our family it's good and we seek out help when we need it and in some families that is just not a language that's been spoken and so to to show that just like we see a dentist when we're having a toothache we see a therapist when we're having difficult emotions that we're not able to manage so it's giving them wonderful tools that they'll have their whole life it it is so important and it is so much more in the public domain of conversation than it was when, you know, our generation was growing up. And so hopefully, you know, to your point, therapy becomes much more of a, of a conversation you can openly and freely have. And for those of us who grew up without those kind of conversations, it, it's almost, it can almost be uncomfortable to have, um, but certainly important. If there was one thing, one takeaway today when it comes to helping our kids who may be experiencing depression or certainly were concerned that that could be an outcome, what is it that we can do? The one thing I would say is to take it seriously. So that I, when I say that I'm not saying every sad child is seriously depressed, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that if there's even a small chance that that's a very serious depression, you want to intervene early and quickly. And so if you're seeing changes in your child that concern you, that in your gut tell you something's something's off here, take it seriously and really don't ignore it. Look into it and find out. And you may find that something small in there they're dealing with it and they're going to be better in a few days, but you also want to know if it's something bigger than that or more serious. Rebecca, thank you so much. I want to make sure that everybody knows too, we'll have additional resources on our website, wgme.com slash raising me. Excellent information and advice. Rebecca, thank you. Thank you so much, Adrian. So many really good things to think about from Rebecca today. First, don't ignore your instinct. We got to trust it. If there's something to underline, that was it for me. 
We know our kids, if something isn't sitting well, we gotta dig in. Maybe we're wrong. Well, you know, okay, not the first or last time here. But as Rebecca stressed, this is so important and it's just one where we don't take chances. The other takeaway I thought was strongly encouraging, maybe even forcing, which is <laughs> can be really hard, but connection with others, especially for the kids who are starting to or have been isolating from friends and family. Connection is huge as she says, and can even be the antidote to some symptoms of depression. Thank you so much for listening to Raising Me. Again, check out the anxiety epidemic episode with Rebecca, it's in the list. So worth a listen and such a resource for us raising kids in the post-COVID world and those struggling with anxiety right now. I'm Adrienne Stein. Raising Me is edited by Megan Littlefield and produced with Nate Eldridge. Please give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, a positive rating and review helps others find this message. So we really appreciate that wherever you are. I hope you learned something new and get to take a little time for you.